All right, living room, what's up? How are we doing tonight? How's everyone feeling? Everybody good? You guys look good. You look really good. How was, how was dinner? Was dinner good? The mac and cheese, um, I didn't get to eat any of it because um, I just started Whole30 um, today, and that's exciting. You know, your life is ruined for the next 30 days is basically what that means. So no mac and cheese for me. Um, so, so that's, anyways, I'm just letting you know my struggles the next 30 days. You guys can be in prayer for me, but hey, we're in this series called Dating in a Swipe Right Culture, and I'm so glad you're jumping in. If this is your first time to the living room, welcome. You're jumping in a really good time. We're in week three tonight of this series, and if you've missed either of the first two weeks, I strongly, strongly encourage you to go back and to catch up on our podcast, uh, especially if you're a guy in the room and you weren't here last week or you didn't listen to the podcast yet last week. Um, last week, Samer Massad was with us, and he gave a really incredible challenge to the fellas in the room. Um, and the topic was how guys should date, honor, and respect women in today's culture, okay? So fellas, just go take a listen. I promise you won't regret it. And I'm really excited about tonight, but I also have to let you know from the start that I'm really looking forward to next week. And I'm not just saying that. Next week is week four of this series, and I've had it circled on the calendar for a while now because week four is gonna be different than any other week Week four is a practical tips talk where we are going to be shooting you one line, practical tips, nothing's off limits. I don't even know for sure what's going to come from this stage, what's going to be said, but it's going to be good. Um, and so you guys are going to love it. You want to be here for it. It's a great week to invite your friends. I cannot wait for next week, but I'm really excited for tonight as well. And this whole um, series that we've been in, Dating in a Swipe Right Culture, has been centered around the idea that it's never been easier to meet and connect with people in today's culture. Think about it. With, with social media, with Instagram, with Snapchat, with Twitter, with Facebook, with phones and texting and group me's and FaceTime and with all the dating apps that are even out there, it's never been easier for us to meet and connect with people. But at the same time, it's never been more difficult to date well. And this is because of what culture is teaching us in regards to this topic. In fact, last week we said this. If you are not aware of what culture is teaching you, you will unknowingly adopt what culture is teaching you. So we said last week, if you're not aware, if you don't know what culture is saying to you, what culture is teaching to you, then eventually over time, unknowingly, without even knowing it, you're going to begin to adopt what culture is teaching to you. I think another way to say it would be that if we're not intentional about receiving truth in our lives, then over time we'll begin to welcome in lies. We have to be intentional about receiving truth. It was about, I guess, seven, maybe eight months ago, and I was in California with my wife, Ann. We were celebrating our three-year anniversary, and I had never been to Cali before. Ann had been a couple times, so I was really excited for the trip, and we flew in uh, to LAX, to the LA airport, and we stayed in this area about 20 minutes outside of LA called Hermosa Beach, and we stayed at this house that was like two blocks away from the beach, and they had these bikes, or they call them beach cruisers, and so we had these two beach cruisers, and so the first day, we're like, hey, let's use out the beach cruiser and California has this awesome thing called the Strand. And the Strand is basically this biking slash running slash walking trail that runs right along the beach. In fact, I have a picture to kind of show you what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's me. I'm, ride I'm not even looking where I'm riding. I'm just cruising down the Strand. But you can see there's some amazing views. Um, the beach is right there. There's sand volleyball courts. It was awesome. And so we were cruising down the Strand. And the first day we decided to go right. We went this way down the Strand. And we probably rode we weren't intending to go very far, but it was so amazing. We rode like eight to 10 miles and we turned around. We're like, that was great. So the next day we decided to go back out and to ride bikes again on the strand. But this time we went the opposite direction. We went left. 
And we probably went like three, maybe four miles, if I'm being generous, um, this time. And we were like, you know, I feel like we've kind of experienced everything there is to experience. Like we can probably turn around. There's probably not much more for us to see. So right before we turned around to, to head back to the house, I saw this guy, and he, he looked like a local. He was sitting in this bench on the side of the strand. Um, he looked like somebody who probably uses the strand a lot. He was in great shape. I could tell he had been running, and he was just kind of taking a break. So I was like, hey, man, um, I'm not from around here. Uh, it looks like you are. And he's like, yeah, 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 I, I come here all the time. And I was like, okay, well, uh, my wife and I, yesterday we rode a good distance that way. Today we've just gone a couple miles this way, but we feel like we can probably turn around now. Like that's all we, there really is to experience. Would you, is that a correct assessment? And he kind of just stared at me for a second. And at first I, I didn't really think he understood my question. Like he didn't hear me clearly. Um, but then uh, a couple seconds later I realized, no, he heard me, but I think he actually wants to punch me in my face right now. So I like took a step back and I'm looking at Ann. I'm like, yo, and she's like, don't, don't look at me. Like you got into this situation, you can get out. And so I'm just like, okay, I, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm just bracing myself for whatever he's about to do. And then he looks at me and he goes, are you serious? Are you serious? And at this point, I'm like, if I should be serious, then yes. If not, then no, I'm kidding. Like, LOL, I don't know, man. Um, just don't punch me, please. I, I don't know. And so then he goes, are you serious? Yes, you should keep riding. He goes, the strand goes for miles and miles. You can ride for 30 or 40 miles. You go from beach to beach. You can go from here to Laguna and all the way down to Malibu. He goes, you got to keep going. Come on, bro. And I was like, okay, I'll keep riding. Like, I, I will. You just tell me how far I need to go. Just please, I'll do whatever you say. Trust me. And then he kind of interrupts and he goes, listen, let me tell you one more thing, son. He goes, he was a little bit older than me, okay, so he's speaking with authority. And he goes, listen, okay, there might be points when you're riding on the strand where it feels like you're off the road. But you ain't never going to be off the path. And now I'm like, preach, this is so good. Come on, man. In fact, I got his number. And a couple weeks ago, I texted him. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be speaking to some college students in Atlanta coming up. Uh, I'd love for you to come. So without further ado, living room, please help me welcome to the stage from Hermosa. I'm just kidding. He's not here tonight. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I have... <laughs> I've been waiting for months to tell this story. Um, he's not here. In fact, I didn't even get his number, but that was a true story. He really did say that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I love it. I love it. You guys are never going to believe another word that I say, but it's cool. So anyways, anyways, buckle back. But what I learned in that moment was that I had to be intentional about receiving truth. Otherwise, I was going to miss out on something really incredible that was there for me to experience. And I think you have to be intentional about receiving truth when it comes to dating in a swipe right culture. Otherwise, there's a really good chance that you're going to miss out on something really incredible that you've been designed to experience. And if you've been following along in this series on our podcast, or if you've been here for either of the weeks, um, I think we could all agree that we've been kind of diving in, like we've been going in, and we've been going pretty hard. Um, maybe you've heard some things that you've never heard before, you've heard things said in a way you've never heard them said before, maybe you've even heard some things said from the stage, and you're like, I didn't know they were allowed to say that at church, but that's cool, whatever. And, and I'm, I'm with you, but the reason we've been diving in, the reason we've really been just saying it how it is is one, because we're, we're not dumb. We know that you're hearing this already. But two, we think it's so important because we want you to date well. We want you to date really, really well. In fact, we want you to date so well 
that even if your relationships don't work out, like even if you end up breaking up with the person you're currently dating or you break up with the person that you're one day gonna date, that both of you will still be okay, that both of you will still be better because of the relationship. Number two is, is we want you to know the truth. We want you to know that there is more available than what culture is selling to us. There's more available than what culture portrays. And third, we want you to know that the way you date now, the way you treat women now, fellas, the, the way you, you handle your relationships now will greatly impact what you ultimately want later. And this is especially true when it comes to the topic that we're going to be talking about tonight. Because tonight, we're talking about sex. That's right. Somebody in the room just bumped their neighbor, and <laughs> I love it. Someone just bumped their neighbor, and they're like, why are you bring me tonight, man? Come on. It's cool. It's cool. We're going to be talking about sex. We're having the birds and the bees convo. I've never understood why it's called that, but come on. You, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you, you probably remember that awkward five or 10 minute conversation that you had with mom or dad or brother or sister or your aunt or uncle when you were in like third or fourth grade, or for me, it was like eighth grade because I was pretty sheltered. You understand. But since that conversation, since that awkward conversation that you had when you were much, much younger, I would guess that the majority, the vast majority of the information that you've received in regards to sex has come from your friends, it's come from TV shows, it's come from movies, or it's come from music that you listen to. And, and if you've heard anything at all from the church, the message you probably have heard or the message you thought you heard might have been something like this. Do not do it. Don't do it. Like if you grew up in a youth group, they're probably like, hey, just, just don't do it, guys. And that, that's good advice. That's good advice. I'm not saying it's not. Or maybe it sounded a little bit more like this. Just say no. Just say no, like don't do it, just say no, run, stay away from sex, and you probably didn't really get a valid explanation as to why, you just knew, okay, sex is terrible, I need to stay away from sex, it's a cuss word, don't do it, say no, just say no, okay? And maybe it felt a little bit, maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe it felt a little bit like it was a just say no to drugs campaign or something. How many of you, um, th this would, could maybe show my age, but how many of you uh, went through D.A.R.E. when you were in elementary school. Oh, thank, the, thank you, thank you. That's awesome. Okay, how many of you know the D.A.R.E. theme song? Anybody? Okay, you're about to learn it. You're about to learn it. So the D.A.R.E. theme song goes something like this. D, I won't do drugs. A, won't have an attitude. O, R, I will respect myself. E, I will educate me now. Oh, I think that song's pretty hype. <laughs> um, anyways, anyways. I don't know about for you, but again, for me, at times, it felt like it was a just say no to drugs campaign. And it was like, D, please don't have sex. And you're like, okay, I get it. Okay, I won't. I won't. I'll run from it. I'm not doing it. I, I understand. But I need to let you know from the top tonight, you, I need to be clear on this. This is not a just say no to sex talk. That, that's not what this is tonight. Because it's so much bigger than that. In fact, I just want to start off by throwing out a really common myth that culture has been selling to us for a while now, and it's this, that sex is just physical. See, this is a myth that culture throws out, that sex is just physical. In fact, in the late 1950s, there was this guy named Alfred Kinsey, and Alfred Kinsey was a psychologist, but he was also a sexologist. Yes, that's, that's really a thing. I'm not making that up. And his philosophy, his theory 
was that you could separate sex from any moral values, from any moral line of truth. This was his theory. He thought you could separate the two. And he said, you know what? Sex is just a physical thing. It's just a normal activity that you do in your everyday life. He compared sex to, to going to the grocery store, to, to eating, to sleeping, to, to working out. He said, it's just a normal thing that you do in your everyday life. It's not a big deal. It's just a physical, normal thing. Well, then a few years later, this guy named Hugh Hefner, he, he heard about Kinsey's philosophy and he loved it. And he was like, man, I want to move that philosophy forward. I want to advance it. I want to make my life about that in a, in a sense. And so he was a self-proclaimed missionary for sex. And Hugh Hefner started Playboy. And Playboy's whole mission, again, was to separate sex from, from any moral values, from any moral truth. And he wanted to separate the two, say they have nothing to do with one another. And Playboy made it their mission to say, as long as you avoid the consequences of sex, as long as you don't get pregnant, as long as you don't get an STD, as long as you're smart about it and you use protection, then, then you can have sex anytime with anybody, anywhere you want. It's not a big deal. It's just a physical thing. But come on, come on. We're college students in here. I feel like we can be real. Um, we can be raw tonight. We can be honest. And there's something inside all of you, at the core of who you are, that tells you there's something more there. Because if sex was just a physical thing, then, then why is there the walk of shame? Like, why is it that the night after you have sex, the next morning, that walk back to your dorm or that walk back to your car is called the walk of shame? I mean, if it's just like going to the grocery store, then why isn't it called the walk of shame when you wake up in the morning and walk to Starbucks to get your daily frappuccino? Okay, if sex was just a physical thing, then why is it that even if you're, you're not believing that you're going to wait until marriage, you probably want to at least wait to have sex with someone that you care about. You probably want to have sex with someone that you love or someone you think you may love one day. But why if it's just a physical thing? If, if sex is a physical thing, if it's just a physical thing, then why is it that if, I, if we took a poll of the room tonight and I asked you what your greatest regret is in life, a lot of you, a strong majority of you would say that your greatest regret in life is somehow linked to sex. Why? I mean, if it's just a physical thing, why can't you just brush it off like a speeding ticket or, or brush it off like a bad grade on a test? If sex is just a physical thing, if it's just a physical thing, and, and this is kind of tough, but let's be real, then why is it that it's so much more difficult for someone who's been the victim of a rape than for someone who's been the victim of maybe just being shoved in the hallway in middle school? See, there's something at the core of who you are regardless of your faith background, regardless of whether you're living it out or not, that tells you sex is more than just a physical thing. It's not just physical. It's not just physical. In fact, sex is actually three-dimensional. Part of sex, one part of sex is the physical aspect. Like, yes, sex is definitely partly a physical thing. It involves your body, but this is just part of it. See, sex is also psychological. It involves your mind. It involves your thoughts. And the third aspect of sex is that it's spiritual. It involves your heart. It involves your feelings and your emotions. See, sex was designed to be three-dimensional. It involves your mind, your body, and your soul. But culture wants us. Culture, in, in, a, in a way, has convinced us that sex is just a physical thing. Culture wants us to eliminate these two and say, no, it's just physical. It's just a physical thing. 
And this is why so many of us have bought into this lie, and then we end up frustrated. We end up confused. We have all these questions. We're like, man, something must be wrong. Like, maybe it's not the right person. You know, maybe we did something wrong. I don't know. But no, what, what, what happened is we're settling. We're settling for something that's so much less than what we were designed to experience. This would be like if you went to an Atlanta Hawks game, and you were at the Phillips Arena. You had great seats. You had lower, you had courtside seats. We'll put you there, okay? And physically, you were there, but you had a blindfold around your eyes, and you had earplugs in your ears to where you couldn't hear anything. You would leave that game extremely frustrated. You'd leave that game being like, man, yeah, physically, I was there, but that was a terrible experience. I, what was wrong? Well, what was wrong was you were missing out on something so much greater. You were missing out on a much greater experience. It would be like if you went to the Georgia Dome to see Beyonce in concert, okay? And you, you had front row seats. Like, you could reach out and touch Beyonce. But no, physically you were there. But again, you, you couldn't see anything. You couldn't hear anything. You would leave frustrated. You'd leave frustrated, and see, it's the same when it comes to sex. We minimize it to this, and we make it a physical thing, and then we wonder why we're frustrated, and it's because you're missing out on something so much greater, something that you were designed to experience that is so much greater than that. It's so much greater. And I think oftentimes we forget that God created sex, you know? Like, like he was the one who, who came up with the idea of sex. He designed sex to be an amazing, amazing thing, and he designed it to be something so much greater than just a physical activity. See, he didn't just design sex to be a means of procreation, because that would have just been physical. He had something much greater in mind. He wanted it to be a mind, a body, and a soul type of experience. What God ultimately had in mind when he created sex was intimacy. Intimacy. This is the definition of intimacy. To know and be fully known, to know and be fully known, but our culture wants to do everything it can to, to separate the two, to separate sex from intimacy. And as we touched on a little bit last week, you can become numb to intimacy. You can become so consumed and so addicted to what's fake that you don't even know what's real anymore, and you can become numb to intimacy. This is such a big deal, and it's no wonder that in the Bible, the Apostle Paul touches on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Check out what he says. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Apostle Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee, that word in the Greek means this. It means to keep from doing something by avoiding it because of its potential damage. See, the Corinthian audience that Paul was speaking to, they didn't understand this. They were like, what, what are you talking about, man? We, you know, we have all these questions. This doesn't make any sense. But what Paul was saying here is, hey, sexual sin, sexual immorality, you need to run for it because its potential for damage is off the charts. Sexual sin, the potential it has for regret in your life is off the charts. The potential it has for sin in your life, for, for pain in your life is off the charts. Sexual sin has so much potential to cause great, great damage in your life. He goes on and he keeps saying this, flee from sexual immorality, he says. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So he says, hey, there are some sins that, that are just physical sins to where you can commit the sin and then honestly, you can just say, I'm sorry, and you can move on. You can move on, you can forget about it. But sexual sin is different. It's different. 
And he, and he concludes by saying this in verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He says, hey, do you not know that, that God sent his, his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you? That God uniquely formed you. He breathed life into you. And, and he sent Jesus to die for your sins. And, and as a result, we should honor God with our bodies. He said we should honor him with our bodies. We should follow his design. We should trust that he has a plan and we want to follow his plan. And his plan for sex is not that it would be a personal preference thing. See, sex is not a matter of personal preference. It's not like music or art, it's not like iTunes where you can just flip through and go to the next song, and then once you get bored with that song, you change it up, or you're in the middle of that song, you're like, oh, I don't like that song anymore, I'm going to go something different, this is my taste today. It's not like art where you just put something up for a little bit, and then you take it down, you're like, oh, you know, I'll just do something different. No, it's a matter of divine design. See, God has the divine design for sex, and his design is that you would become one with one that you'd be one with one in the context of marriage. He says, this is the design for sex. If you want to experience sex for all it's worth, then you need to become one with one, which leads us to our second and final myth that's this. Practice makes perfect, right? Practice makes perfect. So what culture sells to us. And let me just say this to you. If you want to become really good at playing the piano, then, then you need to practice the piano. If you want to be a really good guitar player, then, then you need to practice the guitar. If you want to become an excellent violinist or violinist, a violin, I don't know how to, violin or whatever. You want to be good at playing the violin, then, then you need to, to practice the violin. If you want to be a really great basketball player, then, then you need to practice basketball. But when it comes to sex, you can learn sex without a single lesson, okay? You can learn sex without a single lesson lesson, but culture wants us to believe that, no, you need to have sex with multiple partners if you want to ever have good sex with a permanent partner, when the opposite is actually true. True romance is fueled by a sense of exclusivity. True romance, great sex, is fueled by a sense of exclusivity. I can tell you from personal experience in my life that this is true. I'm not perfect. Ann and I aren't perfect. We didn't always get everything right. But one thing in our story that I felt like we did get right was that neither Ann nor I ever had sex with anybody, including one another, until our wedding night. Our wedding night, that was the first time. And let me just tell you this. Let me just tell you this, okay? Again, we're not perfect, but let me tell you this. Our sex life is incredible, okay? <laughs> Her birthday is on Valentine's Day. It's one of my favorite days of the year, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's amazing, okay? God created this, and it is a really, really, really good gift. But if you want to have the best possible sex life, if you want to have the most intimate marriage possible, then follow God's design. Follow his design of becoming one with one. And I know right now what a lot of you in the room are thinking. What a lot of you in the room are thinking right now is, Matt, that's great. It's awesome for you and Ann. You guys clap. Congrats. Great job. Woo! You guys are perfect. Pastor, he does it all together. No. But that's what you're thinking. 
And what you're really wanting to say is, you know, that'd be great. I'd love to have that story, Matt, but I've already messed that up. And I messed that up quite a few years ago. And it's been quite a few times since then. And it's still an ongoing struggle for me. So what now? Like, I don't really know where that leaves me. And if that's you, then you really need to tune into these last five minutes because there's three things that you need to know. Here's the first thing. Determine the story that you want to tell. Determine the story that you want to tell. See, here's the truth. We all have pages in our life that we're not proud of. We all have pages in our life that we hope no one, nobody ever reads. But it's never too late to flip a page and start a brand new chapter. And tonight, only you can write your story. And tonight, you have the, the opportunity to say, hey, determine the story you want to tell. You might be in the middle of a page right now that you're not proud of, but you can start a brand new story tonight. How awesome would it be? I was thinking about this today. How cool would it be if in 10 years from now, someone was married and someone from this room was married and you had a couple children and you could tell them, you know what? I, I didn't get it all right. Your mom, your dad, I, I messed up a lot. But about 10 years ago, I was at this thing on Monday nights called the living room at Buckhead Church. I don't know if it's still happening or not. I, hopefully it is, but I was there, and um, I don't even remember what the guy talked about. I don't, I don't know what his name is. Um, he could dance really good, but I, I don't know. <laughs> but he was up there, and, and he gave one challenge that I remember. He told me to determine the story that I wanted to tell from this day forward. And I wasn't perfect the rest of the way, but I decided that night that I was going to make some changes. I decided that night that the story I wanted to tell was not the current story that I was living. How amazing would it be if tonight you said, no, I'm going to start living a better story. I'm going to determine the story I want to tell. Number two, decide ahead of time what honoring God with your body looks like. Decide ahead of time. Decide now. Don't wait till you're in the moment because it won't work out. Decide now. Decide now what honoring God with your body is going to look like. Set up some boundaries in your life. Set up some guardrails. Fellas, this could be extreme, but, but come on. Maybe you need to say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sleep with my phone by my bed anymore. Well, it's my alarm clock. I'll buy you an alarm clock, bro. Okay? Set some guardrails up in your life. Talk to some people. Don't do this alone. And decide now what honoring God with your body is going to look like. Determine the story that you want to tell and then figure out, hey, how am I going to honor God with my body in light of trying to live out that story? And then number three, and this is huge, don't miss this. Remember that there is grace that restores and redeems. So huge, man. I've been praying for you guys this week because I know when we talk about things like this, when we have sex conversations, I know there's always going to be people in the room where you feel like a ton of bricks are coming down and you're like, oh, no, I messed it up. I messed it up. What am I going to, I know, I know, God, I'm not good enough. And you're having these conversations in your mind. And tonight, maybe you just need to be reminded that Jesus died for your sins, past, present, and future. And tonight he says, man, my love is for you. There's nothing you could ever do to disqualify yourself from God's love. That's how amazing his grace is, his undeserved favor for you. And tonight, maybe you just need to remind yourself, or for the first time, you need to hear that there is grace 
that restores and redeems. God loves to take broken chapters in our life and turn it into a beautiful story. And tonight there is grace for you. There's grace for you. I don't know what you're walking in here with, but I can tell you as a promise that there's grace for you. There's enough grace for you tonight. And it's grace that restores and redeems. It restores and redeems. This is who our God is. This is Jesus. This is the one we sing to. This is the one we worship. This is why we have hope. So I just want to ask you, as we begin to close, what do you need to focus on tonight? What, what's hitting with you? Maybe you need to determine the story you want to tell going forward. Maybe tonight you need to go home and you need to start writing out a list of what it's going to look like to honor God with your body. Or maybe you need to have a conversation with someone and you need to talk about the grace of, of Jesus and how it restores and redeems and what that looks like, how you can take your next step into that. And I want to leave you with this right here. Giving up something now for something better later is not a sacrifice. It's an investment. See, giving up something now for something better later might feel a lot like a sacrifice, but it's really not a sacrifice. It's an investment. And every person in the room, here's my question, here's my challenge to you. Are you willing to be patient enough, committed enough, and brave enough to make this investment? Because it probably won't be easy. Probably won't be easy but it will absolutely be worth it. It's worth it. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much that you died for us even while we were still sinners. And tonight, God, I pray that this doesn't just land with conviction on people, but I pray this lands as an encouraging message to where we all can know, hey, there's, there's hope for us going forward. You don't look at our lives through a rearview mirror. You're not focused so much on our past, but you look at our lives through a redeemed lens because of the blood of Jesus. And there's hope for us. And I pray tonight that you give a young man or a young woman in the room enough courage to, to, to take their next step, to ask a tough question to have a tough conversation and to say, man, from this day forward, I wanna live for a better story. When it comes to this area of my life, I wanna follow God's design. I wanna follow his plan. I don't wanna miss out on anything that he's designed for me to experience. We love you, Jesus. It's in your mighty name we pray, amen.